Pamela Fields joins us from Tacoma Park, Maryland, which is a suburb about three steps away from the border of Washington, D.C., and her life is a mix of living in one of the quintessential alternative suburbs of her state, working in the epicenter of the U.S. government, and the ebbs and flows of her international travel. She is the Deputy Secretary General of Kul Khan, which is both a part of and independent of the functioning government, and it has a mission of joining U.S. and Japanese interests in cultural and educational issues. She's also my sister, and since she wouldn't voluntarily give me her bio because she's unfailingly humble about her professional status, and so I'm a bit intimidated in retrospect about her accomplishments. I'd never really focused before on her titles. Nevertheless, she's an incredibly thoughtful and present mother and educator, and the opinions she shares with us here are perceptive, astute, and very helpful to other parents looking for answers about bilingual studies in general and enrolling their children with special needs in immersion programs. Pamela shares the personal concerns she had of her children studying a language neither she nor her husband were fluent in, although they're both fluent in many, the benefits of these studies for her son, who's dyslexic, and the many advantages both of her children have enjoyed from having grown up surrounded by so many languages. I think you'll find this conversation informative and helpful, and you'll be asking for more at the end. You'll find other fascinating conversations at Doodles with Donna, where we speak about a myriad of methodologies and educational subjects. You can also find concrete activities at my website at scaffoldingmagic.com that address virtually every methodology. So let's start right in with my conversation with Pamela Fields, mother, educator, and someone with a rather intimidating professional profile. Pamela, thank you so much for being here. You have two children, correct? Okay. And when they were young, you made some decisions, very important decisions about their education, and you were lucky enough to have options. So what educational options did you have when your children were young? Well, it was a long time ago, so I don't remember everything, but I did have options for different language immersion programs, which was something I was very interested in. And... Um, there were some other gifted and talented kind of programs, um, but they all, all of them required decisions about location and um, continuing on from, from elementary school to middle school to high school. There were different paths that you could choose. So I chose um, French or Spanish immersion um, and applied to both. They're both very hard to get in. They're done by lottery. And we were lucky enough to get my son into Spanish immersion. And so he started that. The reason we had applied to French is because both my husband and I have a background in French. So we thought we could help. So neither of us has a background in Spanish, which was we anticipated that being a problem trying to help with homework and things like that. So, and, and it was. I was so excited to finish kindergarten and then realized there are a lot more years left. <laughs> so, um, yes, so does that answer your question? Yes, it does. And so it brings up another question because you know I live in Spain and a lot of parents, and English is very important right now. And a lot of parents know that it's very important for their children to be learning English from a very young age. 
and yet they don't, they don't dominate, is what they say. They don't speak English just as you didn't speak Spanish when your children were just starting out. And it makes them very nervous. They do it, but it makes them very nervous. So do you have any advice for these parents? Their intention is that their children learn English at a very young age because I think most of us know that, in, that the mind is much more malleable when you're young, and so you learn more fluidly in the best case scenarios. But what could you tell parents um, now that you're looking back more than 20 years in how you faced your children learning a language that you didn't dominate when they were learning it? So I just tried to keep the, the goal in mind. And the goal was to give them a language at an early age, as you said, when they could learn it easily. And Spanish in the United States is a really great language. I mean, the, as I said, the only reason we did French was because we had a background in it and it felt more comfortable to us. Spanish didn't feel comfortable, um, but we knew that it would be a gift to our children to have them learning it in an organic environment. Um, they were in a complete immersion, so they did no English during the day. And I just kept thinking to myself, this is, it's not about me, it's not my comfort level, it's, but I, I kept in mind that it was an incredible gift to both my kids. And how did you become involved in helping them in the Spanish as they got older? Hmm. Um, I learned Spanish with them, <laughs> some. <laughs> um, but, you know, they got to a point where it was, and some of my French background and Italian background helped me with the Spanish. So I wasn't afraid of it. But there was a good aspect to that, which is that it didn't make them overly reliant on me for help with homework. And I think sometimes a parent's instinct is to just jump in and help. I would have to say to them, I can do as much as I can, but I don't speak this language. So which we would try to find help somewhere else from a Spanish speaker, from you, for instance. <laughs> um, but I thought there were real benefits in that, in, in being able to separate my involvement in their homework and education. So what I think I'm hearing you say is that it's not just the content they were learning, but you were helping them have more agency in learning. Because what you were promoting was, um, you're going to need to find the answer yourself to a certain extent because I won't be able to help you. And you actually didn't try to help at a certain point because you were promoting more agency for them. Do you feel that yeah. that carried on until their adult lives? Um, yes, I thought that was really um, uninten unintended, very positive outcome of not having it part of my, um, my knowledge base. Okay, and so not to dwell on it, but do you think that there are any disadvantages that parents should really consider in not having a strong command of the language their, their children are learning in school? I guess, again, it comes to, down to comfort level, but I, I think having the resources um, lined up in case the, the child really is at their wit's end and is getting frustrated to the point where they're not functioning well. 
So it's having the resources available, and that means either research people at school, having contact with the teacher, having someone in the, in the uh, neighborhood who can help. So it's just a matter of managing the, the managing your own, the parents' discomfort, but making sure that the, the child doesn't get so frustrated that it becomes a really negative experience. Okay, and that's really important. And there's a tangent topic here. And if you don't feel comfortable speaking about it, please don't. But what your son has uh, special needs. And I'm wondering if you considered taking him out of the immersion program because of his special needs. So the answer to that is no. And his special needs are that he is dyslexic. And we read a lot about it. And there was no indication in any of the studies that the dyslexia would interfere, that the immersion would interfere with the dyslexia. And in fact, they said in some cases it would really help. So that was a matter of making my own assessment and reading what was out there and you know, sort of uh, just consulting with experts to see if it had been um, something else, you know, maybe and I don't know what that would, would have been if it was um, hearing loss or if it was some some spectrum of autism or whatever would have really would have that where the immersion would have harmed him. I obviously would have pulled him out. All right. So this is a this is a while ago. It's almost twenty years since you've been making. Aaron is how old? He's going to be twenty seven. Okay, so you might not remember all of the, the studies that you read, but is there something specific about dyslexia that you can remember that made you feel confident that this was still an important program for him to stay in? I don't remember. We were, um, we were having him, we were getting him help for the dyslexia in particular, mm -hmm. but I felt that was a separate issue from the immersion. We arrived at that based on ex as much expertise as we could consult. Okay, so thank you so much for sharing that. And I'll do a little bit of research and add that onto the link. Um, and he was also learning Hebrew at the same time, wasn't he? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> that was um, not really. I mean, he was doing Hebrew in in Hebrew school, and that was not for a little bit lot while, and that was once a week. It wasn't a hard, it wasn't a very time consuming or intensive experience. Okay, and the dyslexia, you had to make adjustments for that as well, but you did offer him that opportunity to learn a third language. Yes, that is true. Okay, so looking back again, we're looking back, um, would you have made the same choices about the immersion program or there are things that you feel, what are the advantages, advantages that you feel that your children had and, and maybe some disadvantages if you feel those are important? So um, if I look back, I would have not even bothered with the French, to be perfectly honest. I wouldn't have even applied. I think Spanish was the right choice for a lot of reasons that it's a much more practical language. Um, it's used in lots of parts of the world and, and in the United States. And so I think that would have been different. I feel like we kind of lucked into the Spanish and I would have been much more um, 
specific about pursuing it. Um, there is also Chinese immersion available. It's not near our house, um, but I would have considered that. But I think what ended up happening, and you know, this is partly just my personality, but I look back and I think it was the best it could have been. Is part of it because the school was close to your house, wasn't it? School wasn't far away. There was a bus that came and picked them up every day. So I wasn't, it wasn't um, any sort of out of the ordinary. I, I mean, they had to get on a bus instead of walking down the street to their elementary school. That uh -huh. was definitely a, something we gave up. But um, yeah, in, you know, all, all things being equal, I think we, we made the right choice. Um, your children learn from K to sixth grade, correct? In the immersion program? K through five. five. Mm -hmm. And how was the transition into a non-immersion program? So there were a couple of things we had. We did have a choice when they were going into middle school of sending them to a continuing, a continued partial immersion program. Or we had the choice to put them in the local elementary uh, middle school that was down the road that had Spanish language available, language instruction. And, and partly it was just logistics. The immersion, span, the continuation of the immersion program was really far away and it wasn't complete immersion. And the program got fairly good um, reviews, but not spectacular. Whereas the elementary school got really great reviews. And so we decided to put them it was, I guess, whatever they were in sixth grade, 10, 11, um, that we, we decided to give them a chance to be in the neighborhood school, because I thought neighborhood schools were also something we gave up with the immersion, to have their classmates living nearby. So what happened was we went from Spanish immersion, so Spanish as the language they learned in, to learning Spanish as a foreign language. And I think that was um, that was a tricky adjustment. It wasn't the way I. It wasn't ideal, um, but they did both continue with Spanish as a foreign language. Well, this brings up another question: In their kindergarten to fifth grade classes, were their teachers all native Spanish speakers? Yes. And did that make a difference? Yes, and. Were they all? Yeah, I think they were all native Spanish speakers, but also it was a variety. They had some um, teachers from Spain, they had some from Latin America, so they got different accents. They had exposure to different kinds of Spanish as well, which I thought was really important. Um, yeah. Okay, because I know that you have a strong background in languages and you yourself um, have are fluent in many languages. Do you feel, and you work in the education, on, in the government and education, do you feel that if some of her, their teachers had not been native Spanish speakers, you, they still would have had a similar, if not same experience? In other words, is being a native speaker important? So I think it's not essential um, because <clears throat> there are, or, you know, some of them were bilingual or whatever it was. I don't think especially at elementary school level, that that's an absolute requirement. Can you give us some reasons why? Well, because I don't think it just because they're native Spanish speakers doesn't know, mean they know how to teach. 
Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's an, that you don't make that assumption. Um, if they're native Spanish speakers and they're trained educators <laughs> and they're good trained educators, yeah. then that's going to be a good solution. Um, but so it, it's, it has less to do with the native language aspect and more to do with the training as an educator. Okay, because I think parents and educators would really like to hear that answer because there's a big issue in the English world, in the English teaching world, where people who are not who were not born speaking English but who are very proficient in the language and who are very also trained as educators are not seen the same way. And so it's very polemic, it's very controversial. And so in your side of it as a parent, you see that it's more it has more to do with the methodology that the, the teachers are using than the fact that they were born speaking that language. Is that a fair repetition yeah. of what you're saying? That's fair. Also, my kids went to a public school and public schools in the United States require certification. And I was comfortable with the level of certification that the teachers, all the educators had. In independent or private schools, the teachers are not required to be certified. And so that would have been a different story. Would it, you know, who, who is it? What's their background? So for instance, there was this fantastic program when the kids were in elementary school where they had, they were working with the Spanish government and they had four Spanish educators come and spend two years at the school. But they were, it was, and so it was part, sort of part of the certification, but we had absolute confidence that, confidence that their training was really good. So you're not just bringing in someone who can communicate, but doesn't know what they're doing in the classroom. So there are all kinds of um, creative ways of, um, you know, finding educators. But I would say that the, again, it's their background, it's the education, it's the certification, it's what they're trained. If, if they're trained as educators, I think um, someone who's not a native speaker is um, sometimes a better solution. All right, so I want to get to how you, what challenges parents are facing now, but I would like also to address what it, the choices your children are making now. How do you feel that their Spanish has helped them or has been a part of their professional choices and opportunities? Right, so actually my kids are good examples of different paths that they've taken with regard to the Spanish and keeping it up and including it in their lives. So my son, um, as I said, in middle school, he went to learning Spanish as, an, as, a, as a foreign language, um, continued it for high school. Um, I don't think he took any in college. And his Spanish, I mean, I don't know because I don't speak Spanish well, but you've told me his, you know, his grammar's not that good his, you know, it's not fantastic Spanish. He was learning it when he was little, but it's in his brain and he's completely comfortable with it. And he can understand almost anything and he can communicate almost anything, even if it's not perfect. So for example, he's a ski instructor in the winter. He gets paid extra because he speaks Spanish and he can give lessons to Spanish kids. Wow. So does that mean that he's, you know, bilingual? Absolutely not. But he's not afraid of it. And he can communicate. 
So his, that's one example of someone who's sort of kept it in their lives, but not as a main focus. Um, but there is no doubt in my mind that it was, even though he decided not to, to pursue it in a formal way, as I said, it was a fantastic gift and it's part of him. So that's one. My daughter um, was a little bit different in that she really pursued Spanish. Pursued it in high school, majored, double majored in it in college, spent her junior year in Argentina, and her Spanish has become quite good. Um, she had a job when she finished college working as a bilingual advocate for domestic violence survivors. And so that's a, that's a case where she is, it's part of her life and she uses it in a professional way. And again, I don't think her Spanish is, she's, she's I don't know if anyone would consider her bilingual, but she's close. She can say almost anything she wants to, completely comfortable in it. And she's pursued it in a, in a, She's taken opportunities. So for instance, in college, this I thought this was brilliant. In college, they had a um, they had a collaboration with a nearby organization that was helping migrant workers. So these were workers that don't settle down, they come to pick fruit, for instance. This was apples. So they come for a few months a year and then they move on. No health insurance, not a lot of stability. And there was a, a nonprofit taking care of them and providing health care. And her college set up this collaboration where she was learning medical Spanish. And they would go to the migrants and help them enroll to get medical help. And she would be in the room with someone, you know, interpreting for them as they were trying to explain what was wrong to the to the healthcare provider. And that was, you know, that was sort of life-changing in a lot of ways. So um, she's really pursued it um, in a very serious way. Okay, what I also know about your children is that it, it, they, they are using it a, little, a bit in their professional lives, but I also see that they're very comfortable traveling, and, and that could be because of you and your husband that you believe in travel, but it also could be that they are just more comfortable in environments where there are different languages being spoken. And um, Alana has gone to different countries where it's not Spanish speaking. Aaron has gone to South America and felt very comfortable trekking for how many months? Um, Right. Yeah. He did actually. I forgot about that. He went to Spanish-speaking uh, junior year as well. It wasn't as immersive as uh, an experience. But, yeah. Okay. So I'm not sure how connected you are to parents who have young children now, but what advice could you give them about the about things they could look at in the educational options for their children? What would you say to them? So I'm not connected very much to kids, um, to parents who have kids who are making choices right now. So I'm not really up to um, speed on what kind of options they're being offered. Um, I would, you know, hands down recommend any kind of immersion. If they had an opportunity, any kind of immersion would be a gift. Um, and I've seen that play out. Otherwise, you know, it's it's a different, it's a little bit different world. It's competitive. It's they're they're 
lots of you know there's there's money to think about there's logistics to think about and for us we made the comfortable choice um but it would be hard it would be i'm not sure i would be so good at giving advice at this okay point. when you all right but when you say you made the comfortable choice what was the comfortable choice you mean the comfortable choice was that it's public school which we really believe in public schooling mm -hmm. and the logistics were such that it was um more work than we would have had, but it wasn't crazy. They weren't on a bus for an hour a day or an hour and a half a day. They weren't, you know, it was, so it was not as disruptive to their lives. I think at some point you have to figure out also um, how disruptive this choice is going to be and just in their functioning as, you know, their kids. Okay, so in that respect, I have two more questions for you, and they are um, vaguely connected, if not more definitively connected. The first is, why were you so um, adamant about public schooling when they were young? Um, because we are products of public schooling, and I believe in... We, we specifically chose to move to a neighborhood where the public schooling was good. So that was also a choice. You know, we were looking for good public schools and that's just a personal preference. Okay, and so people who are in neighborhoods where the public schooling is not as quality driven as the one you were in, what would you, would you suggest that they look for grants to send their children to private schools or to other public schools? What would your inclination be? As I said, I, I'm a product of public schools and I kind of believe in it just like I believe in um, other governments, some of the other government systems. So I'm not sure. So, okay, well, I'll give you an example. The public school system that we belong to, sometimes public schools in the United States are organized by the town or the city that you're in. Um, in our case, it was organized by the county, which give, gave us a lot more options, and that's why we had this immersion option. So instead of just a few, you know, you go to one elementary school and maybe two different middle schools, um, there are 200 schools in the county system, which means that they do have options to offer a lot of different, um, different experiences for kids. And I love that. It was, um, they give, they have good experiences for kids that want to go into the trades. You know, they can go to a trade high school and learn how to be a carpenter or how to be an electrician instead of going through the, the rigorous academic programs. So it was, a, it was a matter of having very good options available. Okay, and so this last question is more directly related to what you're saying, and I really appreciate everything you're sharing. It's about college, it's about university. When you and I were young, college was, abs was no question. You go to college because otherwise your options were minimal, were very mm -hmm. defined. Nowadays, I see students are not necessarily considering university as the absolute answer to their professional lives. And I'm wondering, both of your children did go to college, they did go to university, and I believe they have loans included in it. Uh, but in any case, how do, you how do you see the costs of college, the opportunities college, university gives children these days? What are your thoughts about it now that they've finished? 
Um, I think that it really depends on the kid and it's not a one size fit all, fits all. Um, I, I met an electrician recently, a woman who's been doing this for a while. She's a little bit of an anomaly because there are not a lot of women electricians. They have an apprentice program. She works for a union. And so it's a five-year apprenticeship and they, it's free. They pay the students who go into the apprenticeship starting at $23 an hour out of high school. Which, and then they learn a trade and they have an opportunity to make a lot of money and have good support. Why wouldn't someone take advantage of that? You know, if that's, it's, it's a good profession, it's interesting. So it's not, um, I would not say that a college education is absolutely necessary. It very much depends on the kid. I'm glad both of my kids went to college though. Why is that? Because I, I think it gives them, the statistics in the United States are, um, in terms of lifetime earning, they are um, pretty dismal still if you don't go to college. But I'm not talking about trade. That's a different going into a trade. Um, and my daughter also has her master's now, which increases more. So it's partly just the way our society works. Okay, so there's still a stigma. There's still a big difference between it. Depending on what profession you're, you're aiming for, there's still a difference between getting a college degree and, and perhaps not. Yeah, but it also so much depends on where you live. I mean, I live in Washington, D.C. area, which is, it's a bubble. And everybody goes to college, basically, or a lot of people go to college. There are plenty of places in the United States where it's not an assumption. Okay. So it very much depends. I am not opposed to someone, um, you know, in context, having a, making other choices, probably good for them. And the cost of school right now is so prohibitive that that is a real, that's a real decision maker. Yeah. Is there any last piece of advice you'd like to give parents about bilingual education or education in general because you work in the educational world still. Is there any last words you would like to share? Um, I guess I have it professionally I run into this which is and I work with with Japan and there's a sort of lack of education about the incredible breadth of opportunity that we have in the United States. And it's not, if your kid is not, is maybe not meant to go to Harvard or one of the Ivy League schools. I mean, that's a very particular set. And so there is a school for every kid, every student. There is so much opportunity and there's so much creativity out there. So it's the, um, it's the being able to sort of step back and strip away the judgment that society makes and look at your own kid and figure out what would be best for them. So if trade is a good option for them, go for it. If, um, if a small community college is a good option for them, community colleges are awesome. They're so supportive. They're not expensive. They're a great start. So it's really a matter of just not, not making assumptions about how society is looking at their choices or your choices. 
last question. This really is the last question, but I think it's really important because not, we have parents and teachers who are going to be listening to the podcast. Now that you see your children outside in the world, what would you suggest to teachers that they could include in their lessons, in their classes, methodologically speaking, that perhaps your children didn't have when they were in school? So again, my kids had different experiences. My daughter um, did an IB program, International Baccalaureate, which I thought was fabulous. And my son did not have that experience. And I think that she got some things that he didn't. And the biggest thing was the critical thinking and the creativity that was put into the education. And I think both of those, I mean, this is what you do. Creative thinking, making connections, not sort of siloing different um, subjects, but making the connections to each other and to real life and how they can, how education can be used to tackle different world problems or, you know, there's, there's a lot of synthesis that doesn't go on sometimes in education. So I think if there's a way of synthesizing material in a creative way and something that promotes critical thinking, promoting the growth mindset, yes. Okay, so you're saying that Aaron didn't have that. He had more traditional learning environment, whereas he, he had the content was very important, but the world around him wasn't necessarily involved, and he wasn't asked to problem solve, and you can see the difference in their adult in their 20s? So I think it was in their education, because what Aaron has done is he's gone on to work in the real world. He got a forestry degree, and there is all kinds of stuff that really is very real world, real life that he has learned. But I think the IB program was particularly particularly good at the um, critical thinking, the more creative synthesizing and the growth mindset. Okay, so what you would suggest is that teachers included, even if they weren't doing the IB program, that they would include more critical thinking, more the growth mindset, both in their aspect, in their perspective of life, and give it to their students as well. Absolutely. Right. Pamela, thank you so much for sharing all of this. You've been really clear about it. You've given people a lot to think about. So I really appreciate all your answers. And thank you all for joining us. I hope you learned a lot. And I ask you to please send me any questions you have, either about what Pamela has shared with us or any specific concerns or ideas you have about education that you'd like some light shown on. You can send me a message at Donna at scaffoldingmagic.com and also find some free activities to use in your classroom or at home at scaffoldingmagic.com. So see you soon for more. And in the meantime, have fun.